with all the heart of the dog in the behavior and that behavior will naturally grow stronger and stronger and stronger and it bloom on the reinforcement process. Welcome to Learning About Dogs, a podcast for people who love learning about dogs. I'm Sue McGuire, the manager of a canine behavior program at a small nonprofit animal shelter just north of San Francisco, and Kay Lawrence of learningaboutdogs.com in the UK. Today we continue our series on clean training, specifically pacing the learning to suit the learner's needs. The learner in front of us. Um, one of the things that I've heard um, this quote over and over that you actually have in one of your books, the behavior is carried out is more important than the behavior itself. Um, you know, let's talk about you know, the process of, of learning the behavior um, should be the important part, not necessarily the end product, if you will. Sort of like doing the painting is better than the paint itself, I guess. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think for the person, the teaching. So when I went back to college, university, you call it, um, the guy that was teaching us teaching, one of his go-to phrase was always, you meet the learner's needs. So number one, you identify the learner's needs. And often what the learner needs is not what the learner wants be it a person or a dog. Oh, I want to be able to do this, that, and the other. Yeah, but first you need to be able to learn, la, la, la. Um, and then you meet those needs. So the skill of teaching is not about, I want to get my dog to. It's about what does the dog need to learn? So even though we were teaching something like stop, because you're, I want you to stop when you're chasing something, anything that I teach, I want to look at the way the behavior is carried out does this learner do it with complete comprehension? Is it full of understanding, full of like, yes, no problem. I understand what you want. This is how I do it. And I know reinforcement will come from it. So somebody was talking to me about, um, I was doing a demonstration with Merrick and she does a very nice instant drop. You know, the legs completely fall away and she hits the floor <laughs> with great grace. But for a cord setter, it's a bit fast and it's a bit good. And then when I ask her to stand up, she looks like she's been shot from underneath and she springs up. So how did I teach that? And I go, I don't really remember. It would have been slowly because when she was about 11 or 12 months old, this was not a fast dog. You know, each leg moved one at a time and she couldn't move two together in the same direction. It was very clumsy, very unaware of how she moves. So lots of her early videos, she looked like a lump. She looked slow. And you could see people thinking, oh, why is she bothering with that one? But the way she does it needs to be, to me, slow and accurate. I don't like to see stuff trained fast and then have to fix it later on. If it's slow and accurate and I can see it's going off track, because it's not happening fast, I've got time to adjust the environment so she might be learning to stand on a platform and i i want to, i use the platform training to teach her to run towards me when she's full of joy because she wants to greet me but learn how to come to a stop because she couldn't stop she'd just run straight through me so that perceptive skill of learning to gallop change down from gallop to trot from trot down to walk and then come to a stop 
So there's a mechanical skill there, a motor skill, where she had to learn to reduce her stride and momentum. And to be able to do that, she had to measure how the distance was closing, which is a perceptive skill, a little bit like going over a jump. Where is the jump relation to the ground? How high do I need to lift my feet? So when you're running towards something, your closing perceptive skill works out at what point you're going to hit it and at what point you're going to have to stop to not hit it. So those two skills, geez, they were not there at all. So to teach her that, I did a lot of platform work. I've got the first video. She couldn't work out how to walk over a platform. It's absolutely quite sad. So we arranged it. So it was in a very, very small space. So she couldn't really go wrong. And then she'd get it right. And I would click and she'd go, cool, that's a click, isn't it? Oh, you're going to feed me now, aren't you? Ooh, lovely. You know, and that was about as fast as it went. So teaching her a down, you know, I I teach, I call it a drop where they go from the stand straight to the down without Mm -hmm. doing a sit and a plop and a roll. Yes, it's a very fast behavior. And then when she stands up, it's a spring to stand up. So we teach these quite carefully, probably with luring to make sure it's accurate and it's quite slow, which is at that time, she did things very slowly. And I think if I'd made her do things fast, because I could see in the future, I want a fast drop and a fast stand, it probably would have become inaccurate. So by using or just trusting that the process itself, the reinforcement process itself, that behavior will organically get faster. And it gets faster because she gets more confident. She understands what she wants to do. She will try to do it faster and faster and faster. And you can see that, you know, so at three years old, it's a it's a beautiful zippy move that's strong, reliable. It doesn't vary at all. It's done the same way. And not only is it done the same way in a physical sense, her attitude when she does it is just fabulous. I mean, nothing stops that attitude. She doesn't get tired. She doesn't mind repeating it 40 times. Yep, that's fine. Do it again. Okay, that's fine. Do it again. As long as you pay her. She'll keep doing it again. So if you trust the reinforcement process, the behavior will naturally get faster. And often one of the hardest things to teach is slow, i.e. you teach it slow, but to maintain a slow behavior. So I think for one of the freestyle routines, I wanted time to walk slowly one step at a time. That was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to teach because he wants to just go faster. So, you know, teaching, invest in the way the behavior is carried out accurately with all the heart of the dog in the behavior and that behavior will naturally grow stronger and stronger and stronger and it bloom so the reinforcement uh, process how much of that process is actually the result of maturity too i mean as the dog naturally maturation occurs a dog would she have learned to come to a stop before hitting me Looking at all the other Gorns yeah. I've had, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so are they dogs that run into things a lot? Yes, they are. Um, it would be an often um, one of the lads I used to work for search and rescue. If he was searching in woods, he would run into trees quite a lot. But, you know, it's not in their genetic history. It's not one of their um, skills. They're, they're dogs that are designed to run across open moorland where they just run on the wind and they're so focused on the wind that they'd often run into things on the way. And you'll see this with Border Collies. They're so focused on getting to the right spot around the sheep, they'll often run into an each other. So they'll run into another dog mm. or they'll run into a tree. 
often knock their teeth out because they've run into something while they're focused on something else. So that if she was focused on how happy she felt and I have just come into the garden, that exuberance could easily overwhelm her ability to actually come to a stop. Okay. And she would actually come flying in from the garden. I'm sitting on the sofa and just go straight over the back of the sofa without realizing that I was in the way <laughs> with a whole pile of turf in her mouth, I think. Look what so I, found. I guess you're the very definition Super. of a reinforcement process. Or maybe she, because she wasn't aware of it, she didn't realize you were part of the reinforcement process. You sitting on the couch. Oh, there's Kate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I think, yes, if you can, if you can trust that these would naturally mature, in a way, I do want to influence the way they mature. You know, it's like saying children will naturally mature, but we certainly want to influence the way they mature because there's a lot of childish behavior that matures into adult behavior that's yeah. not awfully pleasant without some adult guidance. So, yes, I want to guide what she does. Otherwise, she would just be wild. Yes, it would just do what it likes with its feet. It would just pull everything off the counters it would just jump all over people and I, I see these dogs you see these dogs in in rescue where they've had absolutely no guidance during that maturing process and you end up with something that's yes. semi-feral mm -hmm. living around people I've, yeah <laughs> got one of those as well I've got one of those in shelter right <laughs> now yeah. yes she's just a year old yeah and it's like I know this is just a phase, but we're, we're going to shake this behavior because you really cannot jump up and peck my ears. Boy, I, I, nope, that's not going to happen again. Oh, she says, but I love you. I know you do, but you're yeah, not going to do I, that again. I've got again. a, a two-and-a-half-year-old, three-year-old. <laughs> I'm not sure what he is. Aussie, cattle dog, something. Oh, he's he's feral is pretty darn every time he sees oh my god it's like ah! and, and he's a danger to my handlers. And I Yes, oh. yes, yes. Oh, to be five steps ahead yes, of him. Yes, yes. And people look at them and they go, oh, they're so friendly and they're so nice. Oh. Yes, but they're totally untutored. There's no schooling gone in there. There's no shaping of that maturing process. And they're just living like adult, oh, it's, 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 adults it's, behaving as children. Oh, I'll have some of that and I want this yeah. and I'll take what I want and I'll do what I like. No, you can't yes. do that. Not I'm if you're going to live as part of a social group. Grab your elbow. And social group has rules. Grab this and I'm going to... Oh. Poor, you know, and yep. I, 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 my yep. heart breaks for yep. them. Yep. Heart yep. breaks yep. for them. Yep. So reading, reading the learner to know when mm. to slow down. Mm. Oh my goodness. So, um, and when to increase the pace. I mean, how, other than maturity, what other signs do you look for? That it's increased speed. To increase speed. Well, this is what worries me in something like um, agility training. You know, there's the, the, the swings and roundabouts. So then you hear... Well, if you teach the dog to go round the wing slowly, he'll go round the wing slowly. I, I can't say I've ever seen that happen. Um, I've seen dogs taught it at speed to a cost of their physical structure, i.e. they've tried it to do it so fast before they've actually had the physical muscle strength to do it, and they're dealing with forces that they are not physically capable of doing, so they get broken. They're also doing it on a chase basis. So they're in a predatory state. And very often when a dog's in a predatory state, the closer they are to the kill, the less likely they are to mm -hmm. be considerate in what they're doing. In other words, they're so tightly focused on that kill that's going to happen, they will harm themselves in the process of doing it. And because that 
anticipation of grabbing or biting something is so strong, you can't remove it from the behavior. So should they be doing something in a fast-taught behavior that's not beneficial to them, you'd have the devil's own job trying to undo it because it's it's been locked in by the whole reinforcement of anticipating mm-hmm. the kill, I have the seen bite on that. the tongue. So teaching something fast, I can't ever imagine when you teach something fast. I can certainly see that if I'm teaching my dog, say, to go out to a point and I know he's going to have to go out with some promptness, I wouldn't want the dog shambling along. But if the dog's not going to the platform at two feet with the right attitude, you wouldn't start to increase the distance until the attitude is going to Mm -hmm. take care of the movement. You're not trying to make them run to it until they're confident in what they're going to do. And when they're confident in what they're going to do, that run will naturally start to come in. When you're um, working with your dogs, when we were having the discussion about agility, so often I, I, I'm queried as to why people only work on agility equipment. You know, an agility run is 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. There's so much in play um, yeah. that yeah. we should be yeah. encouraging yeah. these people to yeah. actually work differently so their dog actually can run fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had, um, I mean, there's there's a whole yeah industry mm-hmm. now on fitness in dog sports some of that i see is a little extreme but i'm not a fitness expert to me my dogs you know if i want to do freestyle running across a field is not the fitness for freestyle freestyle is very much a particular fitness the same as jogging is not a fitness for a ballet dancer mm-hmm. different types of fitness um and there was a program on the television the other day about sprinters, athletic sprinters that do the 100-meter sprinting. And their type of muscle definition is this very fast, mm-hmm. explosive muscle definition. And they couldn't jog more than a mile to save their lives. They just don't have the stamina to be able to do that type of exercise. So there, there's very particular type of fitnesses for different types of sports. Um and, you know, when we're doing something like freestyle, which we do with agility as well, we do a lot of groundwork where the dog is just learning to move without any equipment with a person in an environment. You know, go round in a circle, turn left, turn right, come to a stop, speed up, slow down. Yeah, and equipment mm-hmm. comes along later. But, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, the dog is has a right to be prepared to live as a dog, not live as purely for a sport. But, you know, that, that's easily Yeah, but that's not where all my friends overlooked. are. My friends are at the agility field. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I mean, you know, you have to prioritize. We had a, um, a course on putting behaviors on cue. Now, if I was going to run Merrick out on the open fields on a regular basis, I would have to put a lot of time into her recall, you know, mm-hmm. coming, turning, changing direction. It's not something I plan to do. She's she exercises in a field that's got natural boundaries, and by the time I'm heading back towards the gate, she's with me, and that's all I require. If something happens, I can call her back towards the garden. It, that's all I require. Would I go on holiday to the Lake District and expect to run her free? Nope, not going to do that, because the amount of hours I would have to put in to train that behavior is far in excess of the amount of time I would ever have to call on that behavior having been 
taken to that level. So I think you have to prioritize somewhere along the line of what is important for your dog to learn for your lifestyle and for them to be able to enjoy your lifestyle now. And if that is about meeting children coming out of school, then that's what you invest in. But for me, now nah, I just avoid the children. I go in the opposite direction I mean, because I haven't trained my dogs to cope with that situation. It's not on my shopping list. So you could have this amazingly comprehensive shopping list of all the things you want to teach a dog to do, but then you have to prioritize these are the needs. These are the needs for the individual to be able to live in the lifestyle that you're hoping to give that dog. And that doesn't and I think that that's a really important everything. thing because one of the things that you've always talked about is can train a variety of different programs, life skills for performance, for rehabilitation, for husbandry, for pleasure. Um, and not all dogs need to learn all things. And, but then the flip side of that, oh, oh well, the flip side of that oh, no, no, no. is no. the person who is in my class and who has the latest version of the doodle and wants her doodle to be a therapy oh, dog. Yeah. And I just want him to settle around the children. <laughs> And I'm looking at this busy little thing going, <sighs> yeah, give it, eight, give, give it eight years. <laughs> yep, that's not going to work. Yeah. Give it 10 years. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 They, they may have yeah. to come to that conclusion that themselves, you know, to, to teach a young animal, you know, it's like the whole Victorian thing of children should be seen and not heard. Well, no, they're going to behave like children. You're going to see them and hear them. But there's times when you should be able to ask them to hush up, but generally you're going to see them and hear them, you know, and the same with puppies. They're going to do what they have to do to be able to have mental health yep, and not be stressed and not be asked to like settle down in an environment that's highly arousing because they will just soak up the environment like a sponge. So hard, so hard. If you want to read more about clean training and dip into some interesting articles from a variety of authors, check out learningaboutdogs.com. And here's my little plug. If you're looking for a canine friend, check out your local rescue. I'm Sue McGuire, along with Kay Lawrence. Thanks for listening. And follow us on Facebook.